This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 63 of the podcast. So glad you could join me for it. Got a great show for you today. We're going to talk a lot about college hockey, men's college hockey with Brad Schlossman. He's going to be our guest today. We'll bring him in in just a few minutes. Uh, very popular guest on this podcast and certainly somebody that I really enjoy talking college hockey with. We're going to cover a lot of bases, you know, just the season in general, the Hobie Baker hunt, some college free agency. And we also got a few listener questions that I wanted Brad to also chime in on. So we'll get to that in just a second. Before we do that, want to remind you, you can always watch every episode of this podcast since the start of this season on flowhockey.tv. While you're there, take a look around, see some of the games that we have coming up for you. Consider a subscription to Flow Hockey as well. We've had a, a weekend just full of hundreds of games, um, and you basically could watch hockey all day long on the Flow Hockey app. So uh, definitely check that out. And also throughout the week, we'll, we'll be sharing clips of this podcast. So if you can't digest the entire thing at once and you want it in small chunks, you can find it at flowhockey.tv. And while you're at it, if you really enjoy this podcast, please consider subscribing to it. Always uh, helps if you leave a kind rating and review as well. Uh, as we get some more of those, we will read them on the podcast. But really would appreciate if you chimed in and, and let us know how we're doing because we're having a great time and hopefully you're enjoying it as well. Hope you, hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving weekend or in Canada, a normal weekend. Uh, but we had a great Thanksgiving weekend with a lot of hockey in my family, ECHL, college hockey. I mean, we had it all uh, going. So hopefully you had a lot of fun as well. All right. So we got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about college hockey. And that is why I'm so glad to have our guest today, Brad Schlossman of the Grand Forks Herald. He is back for yet another edition of Talking Hockey Sense, the grand champion recurring guest of this podcast. And Brad, uh, thanks for coming on. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And I know it was probably busy for you, but hope you had a good one and, and great to have you on the show this week. Yeah, it was a, a good Thanksgiving. Went over to Bemidji on Friday night and uh, actually pulled up flow hockey myself and uh I always like to have the the broadcast on in the press box so I can quick watch reviews. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it was a, a pretty entertaining series, and you know it's hard to believe we're almost at uh, Christmas time already. I know, yeah, we're basically you know it's it's well past the quarter mark for the season now. Teams we're starting to get a feel for kind of how they are, and as you mentioned, North Dakota playing a tough series with Bemidji. I mean, that was uh, Bemidji's a, a really solid team in the CCHA. Of course, all their games are all their home games and conference games are on Flow Hockey, but really a remarkable season in so many different ways across the college hockey landscape. And I, I want to start at the top because we've had our number one teams throughout the year. It's kind of been a revolving door of maybe Denver, maybe Michigan, maybe uh, uh, Minnesota, you know, like all these different teams that have kind of come into the mix there. We've seen really strong seasons from Harvard, from Quinnipiac, um, you know, also you know, throughout the NCHC, it seems like that entire conference is kind of eating itself right now. But St. Cloud is, has been a little bit above the fray. Um, but this season, it really seems like 
you know, you, if you're the number one team, you might not be number one for long. And there are a lot of teams, and, and you know, I didn't even mention Penn State, who very well could be you know, the number one team um, in the country right now. Who knows the way things have gone this season. We talk a lot about parity in college hockey, but this year it seems ridiculous in terms of how even teams are. There are no easy games in this in this in this league. That's true. I, I think I hear all the time from different fan bases that are rattled that their team lost a game. You know, even this last week in Minnesota uh, gives up six to Arizona State and loses. Uh, Omaha goes into Denver and not only shuts them out but outshoots them badly and. Everyone's, uh, you know, wondering why is this team losing to this team? And I have a theory on that. And if, if you haven't, uh, you know, by the time you're watching this, it, my column might be on GrandForksHerald.com. But my theory is the transfer portal. And, you know, in a normal year, teams are going to have some ebb and flow. You know, the two teams that stand out to me right now are St. Cloud and Western Michigan. Both those teams finished around third, fourth, fifth in the NCHC last year and lost a ton of guys. Western lost to top five scorers, um, their top two D-men, their goalie, and out of their freshman class, they had Ryan McAllister coming in, and he was kind of the only instant impact freshman. Uh, St. Cloud State, they lost a ton of guys. Like, you know, We could probably go on that list for a while, too. Um, you know, not only Nick Perbix on D and they lost their goalie of the last five years and uh, up front, you know, how many top six guys did they lose? Their instant impact freshman is Adam Ingram. Outside of that, not a lot of like big freshman producers. So normally five years ago, 10 years ago in college hockey, these teams take a step back and they are clearly behind some of the other teams. And, you know, maybe they pick off some teams now and then, but uh, they're probably behind the top uh, part of the NCHC and the top 15 in the country. Well, St. Cloud State can go out and get Grant Crookshank now. Uh, they can uh, go get Dylan Anhorn and Dominic Bassey, and all of a sudden they're a top five team again. They did not have to have that wait for three years for uh, incoming freshmen to become a high-end college hockey player. Now with the portal, you can go out and fill holes. Maybe there's teams like Minnesota and Michigan with their super recruiting classes and guys that can make an impact right away, and they, they go that way. But the other teams, they can look at it and say, hey, these guys aren't ready for this role. Let's go get a 24-year-old guy that's been around college hockey for three years already and is going to be able to step in. Western Michigan, their top 2D this year, Zach Glambos from American International and uh, Carter Berger from UConn. Uh, they've got a, a goalie in the portal. So th they're all of a sudden able to come back instead of throwing those minutes to a freshman D who might not be ready. Uh, basically, the portal has, you know, been able, teams have been able to fill holes with guys who are veteran college hockey players instead of average freshmen who are trying to find their way. Yeah, I mean, experience matters a great deal. And we've seen some of these transfer players and graduate, you know, they also have players with that extra year of eligibility, which even widens yep. the pool further. And then all of a sudden you've got a guy that's played four years of college hockey already, and he's able to, to come into your program. And, you know, I, I think that there there's a lot of hand-wringing about, about the portal and about how it works and, and the different ways that it can happen. But, I mean, it really does 
level the playing field. And now we're seeing all of these teams. And I mean, you know, even Penn State has had some key guys like Carter Ashton and and Calder, Ashton Calder. Geez, Carter Ashton is a totally different player. Ashton Calder and others, um, you know, where they've they've been able to come in and make an immediate impact, be producer. And then now you're not only just competitive, you're one of the top teams in the country. So it's very interesting to see. And then you look, there are some other teams that don't have as many transfers coming in. You know, I mean, Minnesota, Michigan, they're among top teams. Uh, Denver did have a few uh, that that helped out quite a bit. Casey Dornbach, Tristan Bros, among them. Um, but, you know, I mean, among the top teams, you're, you're seeing the different ways that teams are building programs. And one of the other fascinating teams that hasn't had any transfer in, influence but do have a new coach is Michigan State. All of a sudden they are – um, you know, they do have one major transfer, and that's Dylan St. Cyr, who's one of those guys that had that extra year of eligibility and is taking it at at Michigan State. But beyond that, it's mostly a lot of the same guys that they had. So it's very interesting to see how teams are strategizing, how they're building. Um, you know, I think that the big programs are still going to go after the younger, flashier players, the guys that are the high draft picks, the guys that are the big-time prospects. But as we've seen you know, a lot of times experience matters a great deal more. Um, and now you don't have to manufacture that through recruiting as much uh, as long as you're recruiting the transfer portal. So it's it, it's pretty fascinating to see that. Um, yeah, I, I, just, I think it's going to go by uh, also what, what they have in their recruiting lists. If a team right. looks at their recruiting list coming in and it's a huge class, that's of all these guys that panned out, great. Minnesota didn't take one. Well, next year, if Minnesota loses Nice, Cooley, uh, you know, Lacombe, J- Johnson, uh, all, all these guys, they're going to get yeah. a transfer. They are going to. Yeah. I, I, I guarantee it. So it depends on situation a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. No question about it. I think that that's, 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 that's huge. I mean, Minnesota had one of the best recruiting classes in the country, as did Michigan. That's why they had you know, that, and I mean, it's still Michigan. You also look at the the guys that they lost. Most of them are playing in the NHL right now, and they haven't really missed a beat beyond, you know, the issue when they had um, the illness going through the team. Good news, by the way, Stephen Holtz, uh, who we mentioned on last week's podcast, out of the hospital and was able to be around his team this week, which is great to hear. And it was kind of a, a very scary situation um, there. Now, it's way, way too early to look at the pairwise. You shouldn't look at it until, you know, at least after the first of the year, and maybe even that's too early. Um, but it tells a little bit of a tale at this point where we have, you know, enough games. And, and Penn State is the team that's at the top. And we're going to talk about them in a bit because we have uh, a question about them that I want to get to. Uh, but another team that's really fascinating to me this year is Quinnipiac. And I know that's a team that you saw earlier this season play against North Dakota. Um, They've absolutely demolished the ECAC this season. Um, but, you know, that's a team where I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, when they get into the, the nitty gritty and the teeth of their schedule, um, you know, are they going to be that good? They're 10-1-3 right now. Um, I don't think that the ECAC outside of Harvard is built to really give them a big challenge in that conference. Um, but, you know, since you're one of the people that has seen them up close, uh, I just wonder what some of your thoughts are on on a team that you know only has one regulation loss so far this season. Yeah, I, I was uh, on this with you like two months ago, and I said they're my you, you know I they're my preseason number one team. So um, 
you know, obviously I've been pretty high on them from the start. And we just went through talking about the advantages of experience. I think they have seven fifth year seniors on that team. So they have a lot of really experienced guys. Um, they, they don't allow much. I think their uh, their special teams look pretty good when I saw them in person. Um, you know, Sam Lipkin had just come back and he's a, a pretty good freshman that they have coming in. They've got some pretty good transfers. I just think they're solid all around. They're going to be tough to beat. Their goaltender's not going to beat himself. Um, I, I like them a lot. I, I think they're going to be there at the end, but uh, I, I was on them since the start of the year, so maybe I'm not shocked by what they've done. Um, but like you said, the, those Harvard games will be really interesting because I think both those teams are pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm real. I think that they're they're kind of a tale of two two styles too. I think you know Quinnipiac is an attacking team. They they still play aggressive offensively, but they're just so solid defensively, and they try to own the puck. And then you've got Harvard that is skill flash. They've gotten goaltending this year as well. You know, Henry Theron is maybe one of the best defensemen in the country in terms of point production um, and and points per game and different things like that. I mean, they've they've got some real good players. Matt Coronado. Um, Sean Farrell and, you know, Alex LaFerriere has had a very strong season as well. So um, I think it'll be interesting to see which of those two teams really kind of stands atop the ECAC at the end of the season. But I really think it's basically those two, um, you know, yeah. there have been some, some, some disappointing teams this year to date. And I, you know, I look one, I, I don't, you know, they, they had a, a big win this weekend. Um, uh, uh, but, you know, Cornell is one of those teams I don't think there's ever been a team that the pandemic hurt more than Cornell. There's a team that was on a path towards a potential national championship in 2020 and their mm -hmm. season gets pulled out from under them. They start losing players, people graduate, and now you're kind of starting from square one when you could have had this real program building season. Um, but yeah, that's another one. I just, you know, I, I and I think the you know the big red maybe they got them back on track this weekend. They had a, a big uh, six nothing win. I'm I'm blanking on who they. It was a ranked opponent, um, but but anyway, good prep, Chris. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, no, they uh, anyway they beat uh, UConn six zero. That's right. Yeah. So UConn. Yeah. So that was that was why that was why I was thinking about Cornell because I was thinking about UConn, yeah. um, and that's a team yeah. that. You know, has really been a surprise as well. Um, and that's a team that's done it a lot through their recruiting, um, getting more guys, keeping players around. Um, and you know, we'll we'll have to wait and see how long uh their good run lasts. But um one other team that that seems to have had their luck run out uh this year, and it's it's just another example of how this season it's a long season and anything can happen, um, is Ohio State. And Obviously, they were in the news last week, and I do want to touch on that because uh, beyond beyond just the fact that they've you know, they they ended up splitting with LIU on the road, um, they've kind of been in a tumble, and they've also had to deal with now um, the inaction and inactivity of both the conference and the school uh, initially on what happened in a game against Michigan State. It's been alleged by um, uh, uh, Jagger Joshua that are that um, uh, that they're that Camille Sedlocha, who was on 
uh, Ohio State got a game misconduct. Uh, he said it was because he was had a racial slur directed at him. Um, there was no suspension from the Big Ten initially. Said Locho was with the team uh, still, and there was no additional punishment. Um, you know, Steve Rollock talked to College Hockey News this week um, and said that that all those decisions were made above him. Um, it feels like this was a situation um, where. I feel like the the aggrieved person, which is Joshua, um, had to take matters into his own hands because he didn't feel there was enough accountability, and and I think that that was a a failing of you know the conference, but also of the rules as they're written. Um, and so I, you know, from you, you always have your finger on the pulse of of college hockey. Um, you know, it, it feels to me like you know basically for. For um, those kind of taunts, they can be a game misconduct, but there's really no there's no protocol for additional discipline. So, should there be, and maybe it should it be spelled out in the rule book, or should we just trust the conferences to make the you know they have broad powers in terms of a supplemental discipline? Should there be more on them, or should it be an NCAA rule? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I I think now you probably have to uh, think about whether it should because we've learned the conferences, uh, at least the Big Ten did not, you know, uh, do what it should have done initially. And, and really, you know, in a situation like this, it, it doesn't always need to go to the, the conference either. The school can step up and, and right. uh, do something about it too. So I, I think there were multiple levels of, of failure here. And, um, you know, I don't know uh, how the rule would be written or whatnot. And, uh, but, you know, now you have to think about uh, uh, how to proceed because there were so many fail failures uh, at different levels. Yeah. And, you know, the, the other thing that's disappointing is that, you know, Jagger Joshua's brother Dakota was – Yes. on the Ohio State roster. Like, you know, like he was on the team. Um, not, you know, not now, but he was at, at you know, just a few years ago and has gone on to have a, a really successful pro career um, from that program. And he's, a, a you know, an alum of that program. And to see that that happen. And, and I think that this is a situation, it's, it's a huge teaching moment for everybody. But I also look at how these things are handled in other leagues. And if there's a, you know, the 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 kind of the excuse is that there wasn't irrefutable evidence and i don't think anybody's going to make that up just to get a player in trouble and i think that that's the fact that the player himself jagger joshua had to basically take matters into his own hands by going public with it putting it out on twitter to get some level of resolution is really what should be prevented that should never be a, a case and now there are always going to be situations where a player feels um like they've been aggrieved in some way and that the, they didn't receive the appropriate justice whether it was by not penalizing a player not suspending a player any of those different types of things but this is a situation where it's such a deeply personal issue and it's such a thing that we are trying to get out of the game and that so many other leagues, I mean, you look at uh, when it happened to Jalen Smerick in the Polish league, you know, that player got suspended and for a long time and mm -hmm. basically kicked out of the league, um, you know, mm -hmm. and, and this is a situation where you've got a player in, in, 
you know, and we should say really Sadalocha is, is only uh, known because he did get a game misconduct from that. And I'd love to see what the referee said after the game. You don't give a game misconduct out of nowhere. You don't, it just yep. doesn't happen. And yeah, we're so, not talking about, yeah, we're, we're not talking about just the player that heard it. Clearly the official did too. It, it, it right. wasn't, it was, it's not like a, he said uh, versus what uh, he said over here. It's, uh, well, there are multiple people who heard it, and the official was confident enough that he acted on it. And, and props to the official, too. Uh, you know, I, he obviously uh, did the right thing and uh, had zero tolerance for it and, you know, did what he, uh, what he could. Um, but right. uh, the official clearly did not have the backing of the league. To follow up right, on and it. I, and that's the thing. The thing that bothers me a little bit, like I, great for giving the 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 game misconduct, but what happened between, you know, the the referees fill out game reports. They fill out game reports that go to the league if they have to, and should have been done. So the other thing is, is what was the proper protocol followed to make sure that the reporting was correct in everything here? And and I know you. When you when you say that when you're when you're accusing somebody of that, it is a pretty significant charge. Um, and now you just wonder, okay, well, you hope that they do the right thing by everybody, but the person that is most impacted by this is Jagger Joshua, and it just it, that shouldn't have that shouldn't have happened. There's no place for it. There should have been a stiff penalty. It should have been immediate. And I think now the NCAA does have to address their rule book and say, you know, if this happens, it's it's. X amount of games, it's uh, indefinite suspension. Um, you know, the USA Hockey rule book, which is not the same as the NCAA rule book, um, re- in 2019 was updated to basically say if this, if something like this does happen, it's a game misconduct, it's an indefinite suspension until a hearing can be held, and then there, then it goes through the hearing process, and then after that, they decide whether or not there will be supplemental discipline or what will happen, and they review all the evidence. This is a situation where, especially if we're trying to create a safe environment for players, not just in terms of physical safety, but emotional well-being as well, this is something that has to be taken much more seriously than it feels like it was in this case. But um, it it is an important moment, and it's hopefully a teaching moment, and now we'll see if it gets addressed properly um, in the future with more significant rule language that helps guide these kind of decisions. Cause I think that's the other thing. There's really no guidance on which way to go when something like that happens. All right. So we're going to move on. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the Hobie Baker race, because just as there is such great parody in the league in, in throughout the NCAA, there's a pretty wide open race here. Now it looked very early on that Adam Fantilli was going to run away with this thing, that he was just going to outproduce everybody scoring two points a game. Um, and you know, he, he very well is, in the mix. I mean, there's, he's, he'd be number one on my list still. Um, if, you know, if we were having the vote now based on what we've seen so far, but as we know, it's never that simple, uh, especially when it comes to freshmen. So, um, but as of right now, Brad, I'll just, we'll start with Fantilli because I do think he's, you know, the top guy, at least for me, and I'll see if you agree or not, but when I look at the, the the two best freshman seasons that we've had since it, since we've been doing this, basically, because we weren't around for Paul Correa, we were just little guys um, enjoying the hockey uh, back then. Um, Kyle Connor and um, 
Jack Eichel, Jack Eichel being a draft eligible like Fantilli, Kyle Connor being uh, draft plus one. They both averaged basically the same amount of points per game. They were actually slightly below. Uh, Fantilli has 1.89 points per game right now. Um, through his first 14 games, I think it was 1.87 for Connor and 1.85 for Eichel. Um, and they both had really strong second halves that bolstered their candidacy. They ended up scoring 71 points. Um, and you know, Fantilli is going to miss time for the World Juniors, just as Eichel did in his freshman season. But I mean, really, it's pretty rare to have a freshman, a true freshman, come in as Fantilli has and just outright dominate the way that he has. Yeah, especially in this day and age when uh, college hockey is uh, older than ever with the fifth-year senior thing. And uh, so what, what he's doing is certainly impressive. Uh, the question will be, does the production change in the Big Ten schedule? You know, probably a little bit. Um, of course, Kyle Connor went the other way. He was left off the World Junior team and seemed to have a – uh, was going to remind USA Hockey of that every single time he played the rest of the year. <laughs> um, but, then, you know, <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, the same thing, uh, Fantilli being a younger guy, his development curve is probably steeper than others, and he's probably going to be better in the second half, uh, you know, more talented than he was in the first. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where his production uh, washes out. I, I think he's one of the front runners uh, for me. Uh, even though he uh, had a gave up five goals last weekend, I still think Devin Levi uh, coming back and he's already got great numbers again. He's a guy that just keeps continuing to prove it. Um, I thought he was the Hobie last year. I think you did too. Uh, I if, did. If I yeah. recall correctly, we, we both thought he was the best player in college hockey. And right now, um, there's nothing that says he can't keep putting up these numbers right now. So I, I, I would, you know, maybe think Devin Levi's got a great shot at it, but Adam Fantilli definitely is right there with him at this point. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, the interesting thing is going to be that now that Levi didn't win it last season with a 950 save percentage, yeah. <laughs> is the fact that he's at a 936 going to hurt him this year? Like, I mean, that's that's the thing that just I'm. It still bugs me. I, I I think that the Hobie is such an important trophy, and it should signify, you know, it, it should signify who the best player in the country is, um, more than anything. And it's a it's a historical piece. It's how we you know look back in history. And the fact that Levi didn't get it is going to remind me of that Kyle Connor didn't get it either in his freshman season. Um, but I, I agree with that. And I just want to correct myself too. For, I said a little bit ago that, that, um, uh, that Fantilli was at 1.89 at 1.79. And then the other two guys were at 1.77 and 1.75. So just want to make sure that I corrected that. But yes, Devin Levi, the interesting thing there, um, he faces so many shots too. Uh, Northeastern is not a very strong defensive team. They weren't last year either. And I think that the way you know, I, I didn't vote on the uh, Richter last year, but I had in every other previous year. Um, and I always looked at, you know, workload relative to um, everybody else. And, and one of the reasons why I had Levi over Dryden McKay last year was because Dryden McKay was av facing an average of 18 shots a game, I think, last season. And Levi, it was closer to 30. 
and that's a significant difference. Um, and this year, it's it's the it's about the same. I think he's, last time I checked, I'll have to double check now. It was it was close to thirty two shots a game that he was facing, and still putting up those types of numbers. So he's without him, the team's in big trouble. You know, and that's another yeah. thing is 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 value to the team. And I think that that's something that is very important. You know, Devin Levi, without Devin Levi, Northeastern's not ranked. They're not in the hunt. They're not, you know, they're not in anything really. Um, even though they have a, they, they have another Hobie candidate, Naden McDonough yeah. on their roster yeah. scoring at will, but they just don't defend well enough to potentially, you know, yeah, I, I like, I don't think they're a national championship caliber team right now, but they have a national championship caliber goalie and that, Sometimes that can be enough. Um, we'll see. But I agree. Devin Levi, absolutely in the mix. You know, you mentioned Ryan McAllister. He's not a true freshman, but he is the leading. He is a freshman. And he's leading the country in scoring. He'll turn 21 in December. So, you know, you kind of weigh that. I, I don't, the Hobie committee is not going to weigh age. They basically just weigh age years of service, typically, um, where they, they, they like to reward people for being in college for longer, even if they're not the best player in the country. Um, but Ryan McAllister, you can make a strong case for him. I think the thing that hurts him is that he's got three teammates that are also among the top five in scoring in the country, uh, or two other teammates and, and a few more just not far behind. Uh, but he has 29 points in, in 16 games. And, you know, you're, you're definitely somebody that covers the NCHC like a blanket. Um, you know, how is this guy doing it? I mean, he put up uh, 139 points last year in the Alberta League. Uh, That league is not super deep, and uh, Brooks is really dominant. So I I, I do think there is a – yes, those are video game numbers he put up, but he's also on a super dominant team in a league that's not that deep. How will he transition? Clearly, he's been phenomenal. Um, And I think when he got off to the fast start, the question, again, like I said with Fantilli, was – what happens when he's in the NCHC? Does all of a sudden, does everything get a little harder? When he starts playing tougher games, then, you know, they go and play Michigan and he has five points that weekend. And that's obviously not an NCHC game, but still. Uh, they go and play, you know, they had Duluth, uh, who's a traditionally a defensive team. He has four points against Duluth that weekend. Um, you know, he had three against Northeastern. He's, it seems that, you know, the only team that's held him without a point this entire year is Notre Dame. So he seems to be uh, working through against some pretty good teams and his line's going pretty good. And the other thing that's interesting, uh, I haven't looked at the numbers lately, but um, he's not surviving on a, a big power play. Like it's not like he's just feasting with a elite power play that's clicking. He's doing a lot of it at even strength. So that makes me feel that he, might be able to keep up a pretty good pace. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, also on that Brooks team is TJ Hughes, and he's having a phenomenal season for Michigan, uh, a freshman season. So there are two guys that were t- among the top scorers in the league last year. And and McAllister, as you mentioned, not only was he a top scorer, it was one of the be- best seasons in the history of that league, and that includes the 1980s when people were, yeah. especially in that league, the goals were coming like crazy. Yeah. Um, and, and this is a guy that had 139 points in that league last year. So, you know, I, I think, you know, when we talk about league strength and different things like we did, this is what hurt Kyle Connor and his Hobie candidacy was that they, 
nobody felt like the Big Ten was any good that year, and that he feasted on the Big Ten, and that was, you know, that. But still, he had seventy-one points. How many times has that happened since? You know, like yeah. it does for a freshman. Um, and so, but McAllister right now is on an incredible pace. He's not only leading in raw points with twenty-nine points; he's leading in points per game, one point eight one. Um, you know, he's got sixty-two shots on goal as well. So. Um, most of his points are assists, and sometimes that can negatively impact your candidacy. I think goals are certainly more valuable uh, to the to the committee, and that's you know we look back to the Kyle Connor Jimmy VC year, and Jimmy VC uh, won, and he was you know uh, scored at will that season uh, on goals. Um, you know, I think some other guys that to keep an eye on. I think Carter Mazur is still going to be in the mix. The goal scoring has tailed yeah. off just a little bit, um, but it was so hot to start the season. That it, you know, that's not really going to be a huge uh, uh, tick against him. Uh, Twelve goals uh, among top two in the country. Uh, Jason Poland, also from uh, Western Michigan, is a, is tied for the top, the goal scoring lead with Jack Randall in Omaha. And what a surprise Jack Randall has been uh, for the Mavericks, even though they've struggled this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at a lot of these different players. You know, I mentioned Aiden McDonough. I think he's in the mix as well, even though. He's not the best candidate on his team because he's going to be playing with Devin Levi, so that's always difficult to cut through. Um, I think the Harvard guys, the way that they're producing, we'll have to wait and see how that goes. But Henry Thurun is the top scoring goal, uh, defenseman in the country based on points per game, um, so you know that's another thing to keep an eye on. Henry Thurun is 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 a been a really strong player for them um, and has done a nice job. He, and he is a senior um, coming back. So, uh, but also. I did want to mention one other defenseman and uh, Lane Hudson uh, from Boston University is currently above the scoring, the freshman scoring pace of Luke Hughes last season. And Luke Hughes was a Hobie top 10 finalist. Um, and he's scoring goals and big goals and, and great plays. So there's a lot there. Uh, but is there anybody else for you, Brad, that, that you kind of think we need to talk a little bit about? I, I have one other guy, but I, I want to hear what you have to say. You know, it, it feels like the on D, there aren't a ton of guys that are popping right now uh, for candidates. It, it, it kind of feels like the forward position is uh, going to be taking over this year. Um, you know, one guy I saw in person, the, a couple of guys I've seen in person that are pretty good. Uh, you know, obviously I see Reese Gaber every, every day um is he gonna have the numbers to to do it in a in a difficult nchc we'll see north, north dakota's scoring quite a bit this year and and he's the leader there um i i think jimmy snuggerud has been a little bit of a i mean it's hard to say he's a surprise when he's a first round pick but just the way he shoots the puck is unbelievable um he's just got a great release and uh you know, he's going to, like you said, I, I do think voters will weigh goals a little bit and he's going to have the goals because that yeah. release is just unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it, he's outproduced Logan Cooley, which I don't think anybody saw coming. Um, and yeah. he's, he's not just scoring goals. He's scoring huge goals for his team, game changing goals. Um, you know, having uh, some of the biggest games of the season, he's, he's showed up bigger than anybody, um, which is really mm -hmm. something that you don't often anticipate from a true freshman. And the fact that he's out there with Cooley, he's got Matt Nyes, you know, all these different players yeah. on Minnesota, and he looks to be the strongest candidate from that group. Um, the last guy I wanted to bring up, and I, I want to bring him up for two reasons. One, because he's having a great season, and, and three, because another reason, because he 
is one of those graduate players getting an extra year of eligibility. And that's Dylan St. Cyr at Michigan State. Now, the, the Spartans are rolling right now. Um, you know, they have, they have played extremely well. St. Cyr is 10, 4, and 1. He's on his third school. He played it four, year, four years at uh, Notre Dame, but he, he had the one season that he sat out. Then he went to Quinnipiac, and now he's at Michigan State. And he's 10, 4, and 1 with a 934 save percentage. So in the same conversation as Devin Levi, he's especially lately has seen upwards of 35 to 40 shots in a game. And he's still finding ways to win. Now, he does have 32 goals against this season, uh, 2.13 goals against average, two shutouts. I don't necessarily know if he's going to have the numbers over the course of the entire season to be in the hunt. But when you have a resurgent team that nobody saw anything for this season with Michigan State, and certainly you know, with a goalie that has had a hard time finding and keeping the net at other places, I'm just kind of amazed, and I wonder what the committee is going to do with, you know, a graduate transfer goalie as well. That's another just, you know, how does that factor into their decision process? So I wonder if you have any thoughts on that. No, I, I don't think that's going to be a knock on him at all or anything. I think the the committee generally tries to look at the season the the player has had. Um, I, I I do think there is a benefit when the committee members have a guy's name in the back of their head for a long time. And that's why I think freshmen have had a hard time cracking it because some of them don't make a big name for themselves until midseason. And honestly, Devin Levi was probably in that, uh, that group last year. He's a yeah. new guy on the scene, whereas Dryden McKay had been around for so long that everyone knew him. He was, everyone knew his name and I think that helped him. So I, I, I do think that helps Dylan St. Cyr. That a lot of people know him. He's proved his quality over time, uh, even though I don't think that should be part of the criteria, what you do previous years. I do think it's in the back of voters' heads. So I, I do think St. Cyr, uh, has, if he keeps up what he's doing, has a chance to be a, a candidate. Um, and you know, one other guy that I, I forgot to mention, too, is A.J. Vanderbeck from uh, Northern Michigan. He had 24 goals last year. And he's off to a torrid start against again this year. So he's Northern Michigan seems to have some guys that really pop up and put up big numbers. Yep. And I, I think he's going to keep it up. Uh, he, you know, so I, I would expect to see him as a finalist come the end of the year. Uh, can he win it? That that would be difficult probably for him, uh, considering some of the other candidates and where they're at. But do I think he'll be a finalist? I, I really do. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. And, and by the way, you know, just getting back to Dylan Saint Cyr for one second too, the son of of Mano Rayon, uh, and uh, a five foot eight goalie, and you know, shades of Jeff Lurg all of a sudden back. And Jeff Lurg was like five six. So, um, but yeah, but I think uh, congrats to the Spartans, man, because they are they're putting some they're pumping optimism in there. Adam Nightingale's done a really good job in his first year, and uh, they've got you know improvements they're building they've gotten some big recruits you know christian humphreys who they got from the national under 17 team um is going to be a, a big recruit trey augustine is going to be their goalie next year to replace uh, uh dylan st Cyr, and he's uh from the ntdp and very well could be the starter for the world junior team this year so uh, as an underager so there's a lot of uh good things happening for the spartans right now all right 
we're going to move on. Uh, just want to quickly touch on uh, briefly some college free agent talk. Um, you know, we talked about McAllister. I think TJ Hughes also in the mix. Guys that are old freshmen, but you know, teams are going to get interested when they see those kinds of numbers. Um, but you know, I I, I think that uh, is there any any buzz generating around anybody? I mean, we've we, we've talked a lot about like guys like Jake Livingstone and and others that you know that are absolutely going to going to get deals. Uh, Keto Hiroshi, they've both played well, even though Minnesota State's a little bit uh, below their standard in terms of where their record is uh, right now. But um, I mean, I feel like you know this is going to be a very interesting year on the on the college free agent front. Any 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 additional buzz that you're you're hearing, or any guys that you want to spotlight? You know, uh, Minnesota State has been one of those programs that seems to have like the big college free agent every year. One of them, you know, you go back to like you know Daniel Brickley and um, Connor Mackey and uh, Casey Nelson, and it, it yeah. just seems like their house is one. And another one that doesn't really get talked about in that same frame, but is definitely right there as well, is we talked about it uh, previously, but it's Western Michigan. They recruit yeah. a lot of these big, heavy guys that play two-way games that are really good. And it feels like they're consistently producing these free agent guys. And, and Max Sasson's a guy who uh, last year ended up being elevated to a second line center role, a difficult job for a freshman. And he was really, really good. And now he stepped up and centered their top line uh, with, with Ryan McAllister, who we talked about earlier, and he's just continues to take off. And I, I think he's a guy that will definitely be getting looks. Um, you mentioned Jason Poland earlier. Yeah. He's a guy who was great at the end of his USHL career. He went on a huge run, and he continues to score goals for Western Michigan. Uh, he's another guy that's a free agent. Um, you know, they've got a D, Zach Glambos. I, I have not talked to any scouts, so I don't know what they think about him. But when you just look at his numbers right now, uh, he already has eight goals and 16 games from the blue line. He's a guy who initially was went to Minnesota State Mankato, which is kind of funny. Um, then he wasn't playing a whole lot, transferred to American International. He produced there quite a bit. Now he's coming back into the NCHC, a big league. And so you kind of wonder, uh, where's the production going to be? And man, has he answered that question? He's been fantastic for them. So uh, Western Michigan, the, it, when you want to look for college free agents, go on Western Michigan's roster and and check it out <laughs> because it seems like every year they've got, you know, I'm trying to remember some past guys that was Austin Rushoff a free agent. I believe he was that the mm -hmm. Rangers signed. Um, you know, I was surprised Ethan Frank didn't get more of a look last year from a, a, NHL teams. Brandon Bussey was their goalie. Uh, he yeah. got a free agent deal and he's off to a fantastic start, um, you know, uh, with Providence. Um, but yeah, that seems to be a, a program that just churns out free agents. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, it's, it's been it's been pretty remarkable to watch, um, you know what what's been built there, and and certainly, um, you know you had you go to go from Andy Murray to Pat Fershweiler, guys with NHL experience, guys that have developed players and 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 have have done a really good job, um, you know what what they've built there at Western Michigan is a place where you're going to not only develop, you're going to have a chance to compete 
um, at a very high level in, a, in one of the toughest conferences in the country. So pretty remarkable work there. All right. As we, uh, I did put out, as I always do, calls for question and answers. But before I let Brad go, there were a couple that I wanted to have him help me answer. Um, and uh, the first one comes from our pal at Sarah Sivian, or at Sarah Siv, Sarah Sivian from Bleacher Reports and, uh, and other places as well. Is Penn State for real? Please say yes, Chris. Um, yes, I will say that. Sarah, yes, I do believe they are for real. Um, I've watched them. I was skeptical of their early season schedule because it wasn't very strong. And then they got into Big Ten play, and it seemed like every week they were competing with the best teams in the conference. Um, Brad, I don't know how much you've had a chance to see Penn State this year, um, but they it's not just you know numbers. I, I think just the way that they play is winning hockey, and, and it gives them a chance. So I, I wonder what your thoughts might be on them. Yeah, I was I was with you early in the season. I'm voting them down at the bottom of the top twenty. It's you know they they notoriously play a a, a very poor non conference schedule. It feels like every single year they do yeah. not travel. They play all at home, uh, and so it's like uh, how much do you um, weigh this? What what's going on right. right now? And then when they go and beat Michigan. You're like, okay, that's oh, that's legit. And then I did watch the Minnesota game where they went and beat Minnesota. And again, they've they've more than proven they're for real. Um, and and they're a team that does not have tons of transfers, but their leading scorer is Ture Linden, and um, that that's their overall point uh, leader. Their second leading goal scorer is Ashton Collar. So. They have been able to, you know, supplement their guys with some really key transfers that are producing. Yep, and I just want to point out a couple stats. Every single year, this is true. Penn State just puts a lot of pucks on net. They're leading the country right now with thirty-nine point three shots on goal per game that they're that they're generating, while the opposition is generating twenty-seven point eight. And yes, some of that is is boosted by their early season schedule, but. The thing that I was watching when they played Michigan and when they played Minnesota, when they played teams that had speed and skill, was how quickly they were on pucks, how how aggressively they defended, how aggressive they were in the forecheck. They never let the other team really get established and get out of their zone easily. And when they got their opportunities, they converted on them. Um, they don't have the skill of those top teams. They don't have the talent of those top teams, but they have players that are really stepping up. So. I think that this is a team that is for real, not just from you know the what, what we saw at the beginning of the season, but because every time they go out, they're they're playing a very physical, demanding game. They're making their opponents work. So yeah, so Sarah, as a as a proud Nittany Lion alum, I would say that <laughs> this is, this team is for real, and uh, start making plans for regionals, and then 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 we'll really see what they're all about uh, from there. But I I do think that they are uh, legit. All right, our next question that I wanted to get you on is is a is an interesting one from our pal Craig Morgan uh, from uh, PHN, PHNX, and he asks: Is ASU better served by joining a conference, or should it remain independent? We're talking about Arizona State here. Arizona State just coming off of a, a big weekend split with uh, uh, with Minnesota. Um, 
was it a split? <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Uh, and uh, it, I mean, it feels like it feel it was a split, but it feels kind of like a winning weekend. If you're Arizona State, you scored a lot of goals. You had a big overtime win in the dying seconds with Robert Mastro Simone scoring. Um, but that's about this season. And this season, they're they're obviously in their new building. They're sharing it with the Arizona Coyotes, but they are getting great great fans into the Arizona State games. It's a loud place. It's a good environment. It's a very nice building. I'm really looking forward to getting out there to check it out at some point. But, you know, just looking at the question that Craig asked, are they better served in a conference or remaining independent? I will leave the floor to you to start this one off on on answering that one, Brad. They're better uh, served being in the NCHC and mandatory North Dakota schedule in Arizona every January and February. I think. No, <laughs> that sounds no, selfish. Uh, that sounds selfish to me. <laughs> um, you know, one of the interesting points that I think Greg Powers made, uh, why they're better off served, goes back to last season, and. If you're in a conference, there's always that carrot at the end of the year that you can get into the national tournament. You can win your conference and find a way in. They hit the stretch run last year, and they were done. They knew they were not advancing beyond their last game. And the team kind of went in a tailspin at the end of the year. And you you wonder if that played into it, that, you know, they, hey, they're buried in the pairwise. There's no coming back, and there's no shot that you are playing after this day. Um, and and I, I think that was a big thing he said. Th- there are potential opportunities uh, revenue-wise. Uh, you know, the, the NCHC does make money. If that was the league that they went into, that they could get a little bit of a kickback. We're not talking like massive Big Ten Network type of money, but they are getting. They would get a little bit of a kickback. Um, so I think that part is beneficial, but no, I I thought that was a really interesting point by Greg Powers that having that opportunity to play in a conference tournament and and for uh, player experience wise, that's a great experience to go to a a conference tournament. We've seen both how the NCHC and like Hockey East does it, where they go to an NHL rink and play in front of great fans at a site. And we've also seen what those crowds are like in, in the Big Ten and the CCHA where they're at home for these playoff games, and those have been phenomenal. So I think uh, the, the college hockey playoffs are a lot of fun, and even the conference playoffs are too. So I think that's a great opportunity for their student-athletes. It's great for them to have another opportunity to get to the NCAA tournament. They can make more money. Scheduling's a lot easier. You only have yeah. to schedule yeah. 10 non-conference games instead of 34 to 36 every year. So I think big picture-wise, they do want to be in a league. They have handled not being in the league as well as you possibly could, though. Um, oh, so. No question. No question. I mean, you look at the other independents right now, and, you know, I think you got to give a lot of respect to the Alaska schools for the job that they've done in, 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 in yes. just the most dire of, of circumstances. Yes. I mean, a, a, an entire conference was built without them. Um, you know, and, you know, that was – you know, the CCHA does, was basically the WCHA without them, um, and uh, and Alabama Huntsville, and you know we're still we're still waiting to see if we'll ever get uh, Huntsville back in the mix here. Um, but you know, I think with Arizona State, and I agree with you, Brad. I think that it absolutely benefits them to be in a conference. I think to have 
the, the question is, is, you know, is it the NCHC? Is it the Big Ten? Does What makes sense for them? I mean, it, those are the two conferences, really, that make sense. I think uh, logistically, uh, regionally, the NCHC, it's also, you know, you're, you're guaranteed you're getting Denver, you're getting, you know, you're getting uh, North Dakota, you're getting big college hockey programs that might not resonate with your base, your fan base. They might not understand that, oh, St. Cloud State is actually really, really good or Western Michigan is, it's not just a Mac team. This is one of the top teams in, in college hockey. Um, you know, so that, you know, I think that for name brand and recognition and certainly with the way things go, the other thing that I think will have to happen before this is that we have to get whatever is settled with the Pac-12 in other sports where it has nothing to do with hockey, where yeah. is the Pac-12 going to exist? Are those teams going to break off into the Big 12 or the Big 10? Or how is it going to, how, how is this, where does Arizona State end up permanently as a, as in athletics, period? But I think there is no doubt in my mind, there is next to, like, unlike Notre Dame, if you're Notre Dame being an independent in football, that benefits them greatly. This, there is no tangential benefit to being independent if you're Arizona State. None. I, I really don't think so. I don't think I don't think yeah. it's a question of 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 one or the other. I think there's only one option for them for long term sustained success, and that's to be in a conference. Um, yeah, and and, and I, so I really think yeah. the I really think the NCHC is their option. Um, you know, Big Ten is going to be brought up, and they did play that provisional schedule, Big Ten schedule during COVID. But the one thing I always tell people is the Big Ten um, academic profiles matter to the Big Ten. This is ultimately yeah. a presidential decision. And to my knowledge, the Big Ten has only allowed two affiliate members ever in the history of the conference. One is Notre Dame for hockey, and the other is Johns Hopkins for lacrosse. Now think of the right. academic profiles of Notre Dame and Johns Hopkins. That is, that is why I have been told by a lot of people they do not believe the Big Ten is an option for Arizona State. You know, nothing against the academic profile of Arizona State, but Notre Dame's and Johns Hopkins are huge profiles. Right. And um, that is a big deal. It's not a hockey decision. It's, it's right. as much an academic decision as a hockey decision. So keep that in mind uh, going forward. I, you know, I, I think they're a great fit for the NCHC. Um, I think they add to the conference. The conference has been waiting for uh, what, what they like to say is they don't want to, ex I think right now things have gone so well in the NCHC that they get together and they say, why are we going to change anything? This has been great. Right. We've been doing great. Why do we want to do anything? And so you have to have a, a program that adds a ton to come in. And I do think they're there. I think they add a ton. They've got that new rank now. Um, they've got a big brand name. They've got a place people want to go play. It's I think it'll happen. And the other thing to keep in mind is since they've started building that arena, which they needed to get in, they were not going to get in at Oceanside. They needed the arena. Well, COVID happened. And now all of a sudden, these conferences and these ADs are trying to survive day to day, week to week. How are we, are we going to have games this weekend? How are we going to schedule? How are we, the last thing on their mind is expansion. Well, now we've kind of gotten through that. And now the door is kind of open for them to have some a little bit of free time to discuss other things, big picture. So keep that in mind, Arizona State. I, I think some 
things could shake out. I do not have any inside knowledge of things shaking out, but I do think the window has opened for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of great points made there. And and certainly, you know, Arizona State being a stronger program is great for college hockey in general. Um, and mm-hmm. I think to do that, you got to be in a conference and um, and be be part of the mix and, and give yourself as many opportunities to get into the NCAA tournament as you can. And that also proves to your athletic department as well that, you know, we're this is working. What we're doing is working. Mm-hmm. Um, so very, very fascinating. Thanks, Craig, for the great question. I'm glad we had a chance to talk about that a little bit more in depth. And the last question I have, I only need you to answer one half of this because you get to see him more often than I do um, live and in person. But at JS Godin asks, thoughts on Detroit's 2022 second rounders, Dylan James and Buchelnikov. Um, I'm going to let you take the Dylan James. How has he looked so far at North Dakota this season? You know, he's been a typical freshman. He's had some ups and downs, uh, but he's he's really quietly produced it it Mm. hasn't been in a big flashy way he he doesn't he's not like jackson blake where he jumps off the page at you every time he plays he's kind of this quiet in the background guy and then you look go and look at the statistics and he's fourth in scoring on the team right now i bet if you were to go around and pull und fans who their fourth leading scorer is zero people would predict Dylan James is he's just done it in a really quiet way but at some point um you know it's not a fluke it you're doing some really good things he plays really fast I think that's one of his uh good attributes is that he can really skate uh you know I think there you know some defensive assignments he's working on uh figuring out but he is going to be a guy who is a really good defensive forward um, because he's not afraid to mix it up. He can skate. He's got some skill to him. Uh, you know, he, he just quietly has produced. And this makes me think of last year for him. He quietly kind of produced in the first half of last year. And then in the second half, boom, he really exploded and he was noticeable constantly. And he's kind of doing the same thing this year. He's quietly producing. And I have a feeling everything is clicking uh, the next weekend more than it was the previous weekend for him. So, you know, I think there's a, there has to be a lot of excitement from UND staff about what he could be down the stretch here and what he's going to be the next few years. Yeah. I mean, it's, he's, he's one of those guys, he's an unassuming player. Uh, he doesn't have the flash and dash that, and, and really this has kind of been, um, I, I feel like he fits the kind of mold that Detroit has been drafting. You think about, you know, guys that have gotten in the upper mid rounds like Carter Mazur, and it's these guys mm-hmm. that, that do more than one thing. They do a lot more than yes. one thing. It's not all about the skill. Um, and I think Dylan James is one of those guys that does a lot more than one thing. And um, I haven't spent enough time on Buchelnikov to, to, to have an intelligent answer for you on that, on that second half, but we got a Dylan James expert here, so I didn't want to waste <laughs> that opportunity. And just uh, spew a bunch of dribble, but I, I like Dylan James a lot. I think that he's he he really came on last season and um, deserved to get picked. Well, Brad, I think we covered he's, a he's, ton of bases. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Sorry, you. But I don't want to. I don't want to oh, step on this. What say, you got? <laughs> I was going to say he, he's also uh, very highly talked about off the ice as well. So yeah, um, I, yeah. I think that's a, another factor that uh, lends to his success. 
Yeah, character counts, no question about it. Well, Brad, we covered a lot of ground. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, coming on and, and, and sharing some of your knowledge. It's always great to talk. I mean, we have these conversations off air all the time. Might as well bring them to the people. You'll be on again at some point here throughout this college hockey season. But just want to thank you so much for your insight. And uh, it's great to have you on the show as always. You can catch Brad uh, at the Grand Forks Herald. Read all of his stuff there. And uh, at uh, Schlossman GF, right? At Schlossman GF on Twitter as well uh, for great college hockey knowledge every day of the week. So, Brad, thanks a lot for being on Talking Hockey Sense once again. Anytime, Chris. Thanks for having me. All right. My thanks to Brad. And we will continue with a rapid fire question and answer because Brad and I took a lot of time there uh, getting through the topics that we wanted to get through. But I wanted to make sure that we still get to your questions. There are college hockey questions. There are prospect questions. We got it all. And we are going to start it off with at Ian Bow, And he asks, thoughts on Merrimack coming out of the Thanksgiving break? Well, Merrimack has been one of the surprise stories of this season, and they've also been one of the most inspiring stories of the season. Uh, if you hadn't heard about this, um, assistant coach Josh Chiaco uh, tragically and suddenly passed away earlier this season. Um, uh, a young guy, a solid recruiter, well-respected in the college hockey community, and certainly a big factor um, at that school. He played at UNH, uh, where Scott Bork uh, recruited him. So it was a deep personal loss for for Scott Bork as well um, to to lose you know a player that he's known since he was a, a teenager and then a coach that he trusted to to help him build the program at Merrimack. But the Warriors have been outstanding this season, and I think they're going to continue to be very good. Um, the question is, you know, how long can they sustain this kind of pace that they're on? Uh, you know, they got huge wins over UMass. They swept Boston College, swept Maine and then swept a, a series against Atlantic hockey opponents, Sacred Heart and Holy Cross. And now they've got a big weekend coming up here, or actually a big midweek game coming up against UConn, and then they'll play them again on Friday. So a big test for the Warriors. I think they have all of the pieces, though. Um, they have some talent on their roster. I think Alex Jeffries has been as good or better than advertised. This has been his breakout season. We've kind of been waiting for him to take that next step. He's always shown flashes. New York Islanders draft pick. He's played very well. Matt Capone has been a real revelation, a sophomore. Um, he's he's been uh, you know a guy that you know, we should probably talk about in that college free agent range as well, um, having a lot of success this season. So that's a team that has a lot of pieces to stay competitive in a wide open year in college hockey. They've also gotten strong goaltending, a team save percentage of nine twenty nine between Zachary Borgiel. And Hugo Olas, who's another draft pick. So both guys over 930 in the save percentage department. Uh, pretty solid there for Merrimack. But I got to say, I did not see this coming from the Warriors. And the fact that they've rallied around their coach, rallied around each other in this time of deep you know, sorrow. And you know, Josh Giacco had, had a hand in recruiting a number of these players. You know, they're, they're certainly leaving it all out there for him and, and for, for their coach. Uh, and I think it's been really inspiring to see. Uh, at SMSS79 says, I've been really impressed with my QU Bobcat so far. Not a question, just an observation. And I figured I'd read that to let you get in. We already talked about it with Brad, but uh, Quinnipiac, definitely a, a solid team. Rand Pecknold will be leading Team USA at the World Junior Championship, which we're going to talk a heck of a lot more about next week on our on our podcast. Um, you can also go check out on uh, Flow Hockey right now my 
prediction for what the camp roster is going to look like as well as what the final roster could look like that that Rand Packnold is going to lead there. But Bobcats certainly rolling, looking very strong. They've got it all. Uh, you know, they got the great goaltending from Yannick Peretz. They've got the great goaltender or the great defense uh, defenseman from Zach Metzka, and they're scoring. So they they've got a lot of things clicking for them. All right, at Ty Smith asks, has Seamus Casey improved on the elements of his game that held him out of being a first round pick? Great question because I think that Seamus Casey was a guy that had all the tools. You could see, brilliant skater has skill but the numbers did not come last season numbers were not there and with that it made it very difficult to kind of assess you know why isn't the offense clicking for him when he was playing on such a good under 18 team last year well this season the points have been there in droves he's averaging just under a point per game he's actually outproduced luke hughes this year uh which is a huge surprise he has um four goals and 11 assists for 15 points so he's been one of the top freshman defensemen in the country. I think he's put himself in the discussion for the World Juniors, which I wouldn't have said coming into the season. I didn't think he would have a chance to make it. He may yet not make it, not because of the production, but because they have so many defensemen that do what he does. You, you know, Lane Hudson, Jack Peart, uh, Sean Barons, like all some of these guys that are a little bit older as well. But he's a brilliant skater. I think that he has shown more of that finishing ability. The thing that I was always uh, wanting more from him was, okay, I see the skill. I see the skating. It's time to finish some plays. It's completing passes. It's making the uh, making plays more dangerous through the middle of the ice, getting shots through from the blue line. He's doing that this year. He's looked good on the power play. He's looked good um, in, in all situations, really. So I've been super impressed with Seamus Casey. He has taken a gigantic step from where I thought he was last season to where he is now. It helps to be on a good team. You just got to get pucks up to those really talented forwards, but he's been doing a lot himself as well, and I really appreciate uh, what he's brought to the table. The offense is absolutely there. Um, Ryan Sykes asks, thoughts on Kenny Connors start at UMass? And Kenny Connors um, is another guy that I think is very much in the mix for the World Junior Team. They need some strength down the middle, and I think that he's the kind of guy that can provide it. He's leading UMass in scoring this year. It's been a bit of an up and down season, but he has 16 points in 14 games. Um, you know, so averaging over a point per game. He's a good two way player. He plays on their PK. He plays on their power play. Um, I think he's got a chance to be an impact player for USA at the World Juniors in a depth role. It wouldn't be at the top, but I think you know you need your depth to produce and to to create. And I think that he does all those things. Now, I had him as a draft pick last year. I really like what he's brought um, to the table. I think that he's made made good on that. He was really Mr. Reliable for the Butte Fighting Saints last year. He made a lot of great plays um, and, and and at both ends of the ice. And he, and he was kind of the heartbeat of that team. You could kind of see that. And I think that that's something that he's going to continue to do. So really strong season so far from Kenny Connors. Uh, I think he's been uh, better than advertised as a freshman. And I really do think that he'll have a really strong shot at being on the World Junior roster for Team USA. All right, next one comes from a former guest of this podcast, at Stephen Ellis Hockey, or at S. Ellis Hockey. We knew Lane Hudson could produce points, but are there other things about his game standing out to you right now? Well, thanks very much for the question, Stephen. Always good to have you on there. Um, and 
I'll tell you what, Lane Hudson, we definitely knew the points were coming, but his points are coming in, a, in a, at a level that I didn't necessarily anticipate. I didn't think he'd be over a point-per-game player by this point of the season and be one of the most important players for Boston University. I figured that he would be an impact player, but to see what he's done so far this season has been really remarkable. And he's second on his team in scoring right now with 14 points in 12 games, 1.17 points per game. Um, I watched uh, on TV, I watched his game uh, over the Thanksgiving holiday uh, against Notre Dame and just seeing his ability to navigate the ice and, and make plays, you know, that's all that we knew. The one thing that I've always thought was underrated about Lane Hudson is how good he is defensively. He's, he's not as big, so he has to use his stick. He has to use body position. He has to use his skating ability, and he does that very well. I think he gets pucks out of the zone extremely well. So beyond the points, the defensive elements of his game are strong enough, especially at his size, to be able to make an impact for this team. So I think that he is really, um, you know, one of those guys that that is, has has popped this season, and I, I think he's doing outstanding um, with with everything that he's he's done this year. So uh, no real surprises for me. I think he'll be on the World Junior roster. He's put himself into that position. Um, so I think he's got to be there. Uh, you know, I, I just think that his his ability offensively to change the game. Uh, is huge. He's got six goals already, and you know he scored some some high skill overtime goals. You know we've seen him make plays from in tight, so uh, he does everything well. Um, he just the only thing he doesn't do well is be tall. Uh, that's it. You know, I mean that's really it. Uh, he's he's been exceptional. And you look at his point production this year. I tweeted this out um, over the weekend. Uh, basically, what we're seeing right now in terms of point production, we don't know if it'll it'll persist throughout the entire season. Highest points per game average by a, a U19 defenseman. Uh, in college hockey since Brian Leach. So uh, you may have heard of him. He's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. So we'll see about that. All right. Our next question comes from at CKenny711. What does the Notre Dame program, in your opinion, need to do to get back to a top five level team? With the coaching staff, facilities, and fairly good exposure through Peacock, I can't help but be a bit disappointed in their lack of consistency over the last few years. You know, it's a good point because they they do seem to have a lot of the tools that you need to as a program to be a top-tier team. What Notre Dame has not gotten recently, and they've had commits. Let's not forget, Logan Cooley and Rucker McGrory were among the players committed to Notre Dame, as was Sasha Pastajov, who's now in the OHL. Um, there have been a number of players, high, high-level players committed to Notre Dame that ended up decommitting um, to go to other programs. And I don't know if, you know, I don't have great insight into why that is in terms of, you know, Notre Dame plays a much more defensive, grinding style of game, but they've had success with players that are higher skill players like a Kyle Palmieri who went there, um, you know, getting to the NHL level. They don't have, you know, and Anders Lee as well is another another prime example. For whatever reason, they're not getting those kinds of players anymore, though they're not sticking with it. Even though Notre Dame remains extremely competitive because they get a certain type of player, they usually have a really strong decor, they usually have some speed up front, they have, you know, they play a heavier game. That doesn't necessarily speak to the high-end prospect. That, and I think that that's the difference. I think that's right now what's separating Notre Dame from where they're at right now and the Michigans and Minnesotas, which are in their conference. The fact that they're in the Big Ten Conference, too, you would think would actually help them in terms of their recruiting. 
Um, but the thing is, is I just don't know. I think Jeff Jackson is an incredible coach. Um, I think they've got great recruiting over the years. The issue right now is getting those top-level players like the Logan Cooleys and Rutger McGrody's of the world to, to maintain those commitments, um, to say we are going to give you a place that you are going to be able to be yourself as a player, that you're going to get better, you're going to improve in the defensive elements of your game, you're going to have the opportunities, we're going to give those things to you. And I can't tell you one way or another why those players have decided to go elsewhere. Notre Dame certainly has the brand recognition um, they they don't have the college hockey tradition in terms of, you know, massive, massive stars playing in the NHL like BU and Michigan and Minnesota do. Um, beyond that, you know, they just need to make a couple of a uh, couple more, you know, steps in recruiting. And I think they'll they'll do better. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think that as of right now, what it's going to take is it's going to take one one guy. Really, it only takes one guy uh, to to be a high-level draft prospect, to, to say, yes, I'm coming to Notre Dame, to stick with that commitment, and to say, this is a place where top players can be top players. Um, and I think that's the disconnect right now, that to me. Because I, when I, I look at their team, I see a lot of talent. I don't see that top-tier guy uh, that can take them to the next level that you kind of need to have. And I think that's going to be the key. All right, we've got only a few questions left, and I'm going to rip through these really, really fast. Next one comes from Tom. How do you think Vermont is doing, Chris? And, um, you know, Vermont has been uh, a tough team to kind of get a read on. I think that they've gotten better recruits. I think they've got better players, um, yet the results remain not there. They are 5-9-1 this season with a 2-8 and record in Hockey East. Um, you know, they basically struggled out the gate. They've picked up a couple of wins recently, um, but most of their wins are, you know, they, their two, two two conference wins were against New Hampshire, um, and UNH has been fine this season. They just that's just not a real strong win. So I think the hole that they're trying to dig themselves out of right now is a deep one. Um, you know, they they th this program has kind of been on on the outs in terms of you know competitiveness for the last several years. Um, They've made a, a large push and focus into recruiting European players, um, and they've they've gotten some good ones that to come there and 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 to you know that's a model that UConn has ridden to great success where they've you say hey we're not getting the top American and Canadians let's see if we can get some international players use our school to our advantage where they have really strong international programming and and you know sometimes the 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 recruiting. Uh, you know, there, there's there's a little bit more leniency in terms of you know, what those players need to show academically to get in. Um, we've actually seen Denver has had a couple of issues with a couple of uh, European players trying to get in there uh, for admissions and things, and other places don't have those those issues. So, um, and, and Vermont and UConn are two of those places. So, um, I think there's a long road to go. Um, you know, I think Todd Woodcroft is is doing a, a, a good job, and he's just got to. Um, you know, they, they need to get more players. Uh, Maxime Sturback was looked like he was going to be a top tier recruit for them. Recently decommitted. Um, you know, so that's another thing you, you got to try and convince guys that there's something to believe in um, at Vermont. And uh, you know, the fact that Todd Woodcroft is a is a coach that um, that has NHL experience and um, you know worked at that level is certainly going to help him bring those players in. But as of right now. 
Um, you know, I, I just think reputationally as a program, they just, it's not a place where top tier players are going and you got to find a way to, to correct that very quickly. Otherwise you fall behind. Next question comes from my broadcast partner at David Fine Tweets, the broadcaster for uh, the Iowa Heartlanders. Best diner you found in an NCAA D1 college town. I will tell you my favorites, and it is because I lived there and I went there often. It is in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It is a place called Mr. Spots. It is some of the best Philly cheesesteaks you can get outside of Philly. And I only know that because I have never been to Philly and I've never had a cheesesteak from Philly. So now I've been to Philly, but I haven't had a cheesesteak. So anyway, uh, but Mr. Spots, great. My, my go-to chicken Philly with hot sauce. And then they got waffle fries, which forget about it. So if you go to Mr. Spots in Ann Arbor, get the chicken Philly, get their hot sauce, get the waffle fries, and then take a nap because you're going to need it after that. All right. Last question is going to come. Uh, this is an NHL draft question. It comes from at Nabil Rahman. 22. Hey, Chris, hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Thank you very much. Why isn't Lucas Dragasevic getting more love as one of the top players for this class, especially with how lackluster the rest of this pool is for D-men this year? He's a six foot two right-hand defenseman who skates well, decent defensively, and putting up massive points. He is putting up massive points. I mean, massive points. 32 points in 23 games for the Tri-City Americans in the WHL for Lucas Dragasevic. Um he is a fascinating player. He had 32 points last season in 62 games, so he's already matched his point total. Um, and I think that you're going to hear more about him as the draft season progresses. I think, you know, for me personally, I, I had concerns about his defensive game. I had concerns about his overall hockey sense. I think that I'm starting to feel less <laughs> worried about that. Um, I do think that he's trending towards that first-round level of defenseman. The production is off the charts good. Um, he's got the size. As you mentioned, he's a right-shot defenseman. Um, so I think that, that we're still catching up to him. I got to see him live last year at the Under-18 World Championship. Probably wasn't the best scenario for him to shine in. Didn't really think he stood out very much there, but he was also young um, and you know on that team. So uh, I think that we're going to see him get a lot more love as the season progresses because he does have a lot of the tools. He's certainly going to be moving up my list as well. Um, but yeah, Lucas Dragasevic is absolutely one of the guys that that is you know standing out in a year where defensemen just aren't standing out very much in general. So uh, I think he'll have a, a real good chance. So a great question there and a good one to finish on. It's not college hockey related, but it is NHL draft related. And next week, we're going to talk a lot more about the World Junior Championship and, and so much more. So today was a bit of a longer episode. So I have to give my sincere thanks to Colt Joyce, who's producing this episode and will be responsible for getting it back to me. So thank you, Colt, for, do, for that. Thank you to everyone who asked questions. Thank you to Brad Schlossman. And as a reminder, please do subscribe to this podcast. Leave a nice rating and review on your app of choice. And as always, you can watch it on flowhockey.tv. While you're there, take a look around. Consider a subscription to Flow Hockey as well. Annual subscriptions get you a ton of hockey throughout the season. So make sure you check that out. And it is great to be on this half of Thanksgiving because now the real hockey is really starting to get rolling. We got the World Juniors coming up. We've got so much more to get to. It's going to be a lot of fun on this podcast. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in on this week's episode. My name is Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.